Good morning, church. If you will take your Bibles and turn to Luke, Luke chapter 13. Our text today is verses 18 through 35. The Gospel of Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 35. As you make your way there, just wanted to say a quick word of uh, thank you and, and have one request of you, or several, well, yes, one request. Um, just want to say a quick word of th- gratitude to those of you who serve our church so faithfully. We're extremely blessed here. We have many ways in which many of you serve diligently and faithfully each and every week here uh, in our church body. And I think about uh, even through this last year of just this, this whole craziness that we've endured, um, which has put a strain somewhat on some of our ministries. Uh, but I just want to say a word of thank you for those of you who serve so faithfully. Our setup teams, uh, our audio visual teams, they've not stopped working this whole time. Uh, our worship teams, uh, I just think about those who work with our students, um, those who are teaching, uh, those who are greeting, those who are serving you that amazing coffee that we have here, uh, those who are doing so many other things that I've not even mentioned, just thank you for how you do that. You are kind in your service, you are faithful, you do it with joy, uh, and we're thankful for each of you. Uh, as I stated last week, we do continue to have need as far as service goes uh, in our uh children's ministry. Uh, If you're looking for a way to bless and encourage the body of Christ here at Redeeming Grace, here are several opportunities for you. We have two immediate needs with our nursery uh, during the the service hour, during this time. Uh, We have two needs for workers uh, to serve in our nursery. We want to increase capacity in our nursery, and in order to do that, we need six additional servants. That's eight total. Uh, in our nursery during this, this worship hour. That's where you would serve once every six weeks. And so it's not a weekly requirement, it's a once every six week requirement. So two immediate, just to maintain what we have, we wanna increase capacity. In order to do that, we need six additional workers. And so would you prayerfully consider serving in our nursery and blessing our families? Uh, we have faithful, diligent nursery children's ministry workers Uh, The problem is, is that many of them love our children's ministry so much, they keep contributing to it. And so they have to take time off in order to have these babies and those kinds of things. And so we're just very thankful for them, but we also have need to fill in those slots of people serving. And so we eventually want to start very soon our children's equip hour back up. In order to do that, we need three teachers uh, during, for that pre-K to second grade range, three additional teachers in order to get our children's Sunday school back up and running. So there's a lot of need in our children's ministry, obviously. Uh, so would you just pray about maybe serving in that way, whether it's once every six weeks in our, uh, nursery during the service, or maybe even weekly during the equip hour to help us get the children's equip classes back up and going very soon. So pray about that. See Marsha Roten. Uh, if you're interested in serving in any of those ways, uh, you can talk to any, any, of, any of the staff. We're uh, glad to, to get you lined up with that. And so, uh, again, thank you for those who of, you, of you who are serving so faithfully. Uh, we want to recognize and, and acknowledge how diligent you serve. Uh, we, we just need more of you, uh, and so especially in our children's ministry. So be mindful and prayerful about those opportunities. All right, let's turn our attention now to the scriptures. Luke chapter 13, I want to begin reading in verse 18. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? 
It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew. It became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. That very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth, its clarity. Help us, Lord, now to hear it and respond to it to you. By your grace, for your glory, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, we looked at the previous account as we've been making our way through Luke's gospel when Jesus healed the woman with a disabling spirit. And as we watched him do so, there in verses 10 through 17, he heals her with a word, with a touch, and heals her. And then he makes clear in that healing that he is one with authority. He's made that clear previously all throughout the gospel thus far. He highlights his authority in that healing. Our text this morning continues to expand on the reality of that authority as Luke comes back to one of the favorite themes of this gospel, and that is the kingdom of God. And here in Luke 13, 18 through 35, we see how Luke highlights the domain of Jesus' authority, the kingdom of God, and he elaborates further on it through the words of Jesus here we see. Jesus has demonstrated himself to be one with authority, the one with all authority. He came proclaiming and announcing the arrival of the kingdom. And here in this text, Jesus further elaborates on the nature of that kingdom, a kingdom that is present, but not yet in its fullest reality. And through his ministry, through his teaching, through his healing, through the numerous miracles that Jesus performed, through even his rebuke of the leaders, the casting out of demons, Jesus demonstrates the reality of the kingdom's arrival in this world. 
He even says when he comes preaching, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. It has arrived, it is here. And again, we see him elaborate further this morning on it. He shows us that this kingdom that he comes to bring is not like other kingdoms. It's not like other kingdoms. So in our passage before us this morning, he gives us further clarity on the nature of this kingdom, what it's like, how it grows, who's in, how it advances, all of which are designed to give followers of Jesus confidence and those who have not yet entered into the kingdom the opportunity to do so. So this is a message that is giving his followers confidence and boldness and assurance about the reality of the kingdom of God, and yet it's a message to those who are outside of the kingdom to say, enter now while you can. So I want us to walk through this passage today to see several characteristics about the kingdom that should give us hope and joy. First of all, we see this, that the kingdom of God, the nature, one of the, nature, one of the characteristics of the kingdom of God is that it's far-reaching. It's far-reaching, and you see that through these two very brief parables in verses 18 through 21. Illustrate basically the same point. You see the parable of the grain of the mustard seed. What is the kingdom of God like, Jesus asks. And then he gives these two parables. He says, what shall I compare? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew. Became a tree, and the birds of the air made nest in its branches. It's a teeny tiny mustard seed now grows into this massive tree with many branches. And again, he says, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven, small little microscopic yeast, like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leaven and had its impact and influence in the bread. So these two parables, both of them basically state the same point that the nature of the kingdom, the reality of the kingdom is that it starts out small, but it ends up very large. See, the Jewish expectation about the kingdom of God was that it would arrive all at once in glorious fashion. Their, their expectations were faulty. They, they thought they knew what the kingdom of God should be, uh, uh, some kind of military rule or political domain and that is not at all what we see. Jesus comes announcing the kingdom, and it's, it's strange. In fact, if you would have been the followers of Jesus during this time, you, you, would, you would have wondered, what kind of kingdom is this? What, what kind of king are you, Jesus? But Jesus makes clear that though it starts small, it gradually grows into a large kingdom. It is a kingdom unlike other kingdoms. In the case of the leaven, we see certainly a similar picture. The small amount of leaven impacts the flour and causes it to rise. It's tiny, but it impacts the dough in a way that makes it expand. And Jesus' point here is that don't let this humble beginning, don't let this humble beginning cause you to wonder, one, if the kingdom has even arrived, and two, if it's going to grow, that's going to impact. It's tiny now, but it impacts in a way that you'll see in a massive way. They, these parables go on to illustrate a few other things as well. Notice this tree becomes a place of shade and shelter, a place for the birds to take nests. 
to rest, to enjoy. The image of birds in a tree is certainly a familiar, pa- or familiar picture in the scriptures. You see it in Psalm 104, verse 12. In Daniel chapter 4, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, as he's having it interpreted by Daniel, very, link, or, uh, very detailed description there. Ezekiel 17, verses 22 through 24, you see this, this idea of the kingdom being illustrated as, as, a, as a growing and pervasive tree where the birds take rest. And this idea of leaven, its pervasive nature. It's interesting that leaven in the scripture is most often used in reference to sin and the impact of sin. But here it's used in a positive light to show how the kingdom will eventually permeate the entire world. God's kingdom is not what his followers or others expected. And so the point Jesus is making is that don't be fooled. It may look small. It may seem weak, but its impact will indeed reach the ends of the earth. Again, these parables are intended to encourage the disciples, to encourage those who follow Jesus that we should understand that though the kingdom of God may not seem like it's having a great impact in the world, you need to understand that in fact it will. Trust that God is at work and building his kingdom. No matter what seems to be the current status of the kingdom, you can rest confidently that it will have a far-reaching impact So let's fast forward from this time, some 2,000 years later. Think about that. This tiny seed illustrated through this parable that was planted in the coming of Christ. Have we not seen how this mustard tree has grown? Friends, you and I are examples of how it has. Think about what God has done in the world. There are small and large gatherings just like ours this morning, little outposts of the kingdom all over the world, in Jerusalem, in Siberia, in Egypt, in Nigeria, in France, in England, in Australia, in Thailand, in Vietnam, in China, in Iran, in Iraq, in Pakistan, in Madagascar, India, Russia, Poland, Canada, Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, and yes, right here in the United States, we see, right even right here in this little peninsula called St. Mary's County, how this seed has blossomed and grown throughout the world. It started small, and we've seen just looking back through history. You say history is not important. Well, it sure is in this case, isn't it? You just look back and see the hand of God at work, growing and, and expanding his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, this should be an encouragement to us. This should be an encouragement to us, especially in a day when it seems as if so much in our culture seeks to stifle the visibility of the kingdom of God. Every church gathering is a reminder. The thousands and thousands of little church gatherings all over the world is a reminder of how this tiny little seed has grown. And it continues to grow even this day. So despite the challenges, despite the opposition that we face in this world, we can and we should remain confident. As followers of Jesus, we should remain hopeful Sometimes Christians can be just doom and gloom kind of people. But listen, God's kingdom is advancing. 
God's kingdom is advancing through the world. We are recipients of it. We are examples of how this kingdom has, has pervaded the world, how this gospel advances and transforms. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters. Just look and see all that God is doing in his world just as he promised. And remember, you shouldn't measure success maybe by what you see through the little narrow lens in which you have in the moment. But when you step back and you look throughout the corridors of history, and you step back and you look at what God is doing, maybe in other parts of the world even, stand amazed that God is doing just as he promised he would. See, the kingdom of God is a far-reaching kingdom. It may start small, it may look humble, it may seem weak, it may seem like it's not having movement, but brothers and sisters, it indeed grows. It grows. Be encouraged in that. Be confident in that. Be part of this work of God's grace going on in his world. It should motivate us to be stewards of this tree, this leaven. It's far-reaching. second characteristic that we see is that it's presently accessible in verses 22 through 30. We know that Jesus, in verse 22, we're told that he is on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. It's back in chapter 9, verse 21, or excuse me, chapter 9, verse 51, where Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. He's, he's on a, a mission to end up in Jerusalem. But as he's on his way to Jerusalem, he's continuing to teach. He's continuing to impact. He's continuing to do miracles. He's continuing to do exactly all that he's done previous. And we see that here. He's journeying. He's teaching. Journeying towards Jerusalem. And as he makes his way through these towns and villages, it's interesting that someone along the way asks him this question. Verse 23, Lord, will those who are saved be few? You think about that. This message that Jesus proclaimed had direct implications regarding who would be in the kingdom and who would not be in the kingdom. So what Jesus was doing in the flesh, through his miracles, through his preaching and teaching, had direct implication on who would be in the kingdom and who would not be in the kingdom. At this time, it had specific impact because of where he was and because of who was hearing the message largely regarding the Jewish people. And while some in Israel had responded, the majority had not. Many Jews still remained outside of the kingdom. And so it's a natural question, isn't it? It's a natural question. Jesus has been teaching, he's been warning, he's been doing miracles. It's a natural question that, that emerges. Lord, how many are getting in? You're talking about this kingdom. How many? How big is this kingdom? Maybe they're looking around. It doesn't seem like it's very big. So, so Lord, will, will those who are saved, notice the, the equivalent of those who are saved also being attributed to, to the same group of people who are in the kingdom. Those who are brought into the kingdom, will those who are saved be few? So Jesus answers the question, sort of, somewhat indirectly, 
and with a further warning. He doesn't give an exact number. Nor does he say directly that the number will be few. But he does point out that many, many will miss out. Before he elaborates, it's interesting how he responds. The question comes to him, Jesus, will those who are saved be few? And it's as if Jesus turns and says to the person asking, will those who are saved include you? He takes a theological question of sorts and he immediately makes it practical. Jesus, how many are gonna be in your kingdom? And he looks at the person and says, well, you need to be striving to enter it. He says, verse 24, the first thing he says to, in response to this question, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. I want you to notice two things here about Jesus' response and his call to those to enter the kingdom. First of all, it's an urgent call. Jesus responds with, strive to enter through the narrow door. So the question, will those who are saved be few? Jesus says, strive to enter the narrow door. Strive. Labor. This, this word strive is where we get our, our English word agonize. So there's this, this, this weight behind that, that word. And he's not saying that you need to work hard in order to get into heaven, that God saves based on good works. That's not what he's saying. It's a call to labor at what he's previously said. He's previously given exhortations to repent and to believe to labor at hearing and responding to the message he was proclaiming and preaching. It's a message of repentance and faith. It's a message of truth, but it's a call to those to turn from sin and to turn and put their hope in Christ. Notice here he refers to the narrow door. Suggests several things. This way into the kingdom is narrow. It's limited, it's exclusive. It comes only through Jesus. He says, many will seek to enter and will not be able, indicating that at some point, there will be those who come to see the truth about Jesus after it's too late and the door to the kingdom is closed and entry is barred. See that, don't you? Verses 25 through 28. It says, strive to enter the kingdom for many, I tell you, will, enter the, will, will seek to enter and not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he, the master, will answer. I do not know where you come from. So they say, okay, remember, remember me? I was in the streets with you, Jesus. I dined at the table with you, Jesus. Jesus, I went to a synagogue with you. 
I was in Sunday school every week, Jesus. I read your word. I read the Old Testament. I knew the law, the prophets. I was there with you. And Jesus says, I do not know where you came from. Depart from me. Brothers and sisters, what a sobering, sobering word to hear. What a sobering parable for the people of Israel to hear as it highlights their present reality. The very promise and blessing they had been anticipating for centuries is right in front of them. And they are in grave danger of missing the very thing that they were hopeful for by denying the reality of his arrival. This parable is a warning here in this text directly applied to Israel. He's been warning them. He's been exposing them. He's been showing how they've not been responding. We've seen that. And now here's yet another parable. He's making his way to Jerusalem, teaching in the villages and in the, in the towns. Somebody asked him, how many are going to be in your kingdom? And he says, strive to enter. Don't be worried about how many's getting in. Just know that you now have the opportunity to get in. So enter the door. It's narrow. We know in John's gospel that Jesus is referred to the door. He says, I am the door. I am the way. Jesus says the door is open now. You need to be most concerned of whether or not you're getting in. Because the opportunity to enter is now. Now is the time to, to come into the kingdom. For there's coming a day when the door will be closed. And then people coming to a realization of the truth will come to seek entrance. But at that point, it's too late. They knock. They make claims of having been in proximity to Jesus. They make all these claims. You see it, don't you? We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. I, I wrote down your sermon outline, Jesus. And he says, I, I don't know where you come from. Depart from me. All you workers of evil. Notice there seems to be two categories of people in Jesus' mind. Those who are of an evil nature, classified here as evil, and those who are in the kingdom. He says, when that door is closed, it will be too late. He goes on to say, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When they, when they look and they see the fathers of the faith from afar, Verse 28, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are cast out. You claim that Abraham's your father, but you're not in the kingdom with him. Even though their birth had put them in a position of privilege and proximity to Jesus, they did not respond to him. And now the sense 
of agonizing pain and frustration, of having missed out on the blessing of the kingdom of God is more than they can bear. And now this, this language of in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth is this language of eternal judgment. They are now cast out. They are put out and they can see from afar those who are in and they know that they themselves are not there and they will suffer for eternity because of their lack of responding to Jesus. Friends, while this parable had direct application for Israel, there is obviously an implied message for each of us, isn't there? It reminds us that there is an urgent appeal to respond to Jesus while the door remains open. There's coming a day when the door to the kingdom of God will be closed forever. And Jesus is that narrow way. He is that door. His life, his death, his resurrection secured everything that you and I need to get us in. He's paid the entry fee. He's done all that you need to get in. All you have to do is receive that by faith and turn from sin and, and to enter through the door. He holds that out as an opportunity to enjoy the blessings of full redemption and to be able to sing that song we sang earlier of how, how we were once enemies and now we're seated at the table with Jesus. Friends, you don't get there based upon your own merits. You don't get there by, by people praying for you after you've, de after, you're, after you've died and gone. You don't get there by, by somehow hoping that God grades on a curve. No, you get there because Jesus took upon himself the full burden and penalty for our sin. And three days later, he triumphed out of the grave, showing that sin, death, and hell has no power on him. And that he is king of kings and lords of lords. And, and he has ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he's promised to come again to bring us all together for that banquet feast for eternity. And friend, the only way in is to trust him. To not trust yourself. To not trust your good works. To not somehow depend on mom or dad or anybody else. But to look to Christ and believe in him and be saved. Friend, let this be a warning. But Jesus is saying to many Jewish people in his day that you are not okay just because you're a Jew. That's what he's saying. Just because you're Jewish doesn't make you okay with God. They assumed, perhaps, that their cultural heritage that their family birthright put them in the right before God. If the Jewish people, friends, didn't get in because of their birthright or their Jewish status, then don't think it will work for you for similar reasons. The reality, friend, is that you, all of us, you and I, we can be tempted to hope in various things. Maybe you're you think you're okay with God because you were born into a Christian family. You live in a Christian culture. You attended a Christian school. You attend church. Remember, they said, Jesus, we were with you in the streets. We ate with you. We drank with you. We heard you teach. It's the same, same thing. Jesus, I was close to you. My, my parents were Christians. My grandfather was a preacher. I attended church. 
I had a Christian education. I did these things. Does that not matter? Do these not give me a pass into the kingdom? And Jesus says, no. They're blessings for sure. Be thankful for them, but this is not how you get into the kingdom. You get into the kingdom in, through, through Jesus and through Jesus alone. These are means of God's good grace to us to help point us in that right direction. But they themselves do not secure our entry in. The way into the kingdom is through the narrow door. You have to go through that door. You have to go through Jesus, not your mom or your dad, not your spouse, not your school, nothing but Jesus. So parents, do not give your children the assumption that they are okay with Jesus because you follow Jesus. Don't ever do that. Children, don't assume that you're okay with God because your mom and dad go to church. The only way to be right with a holy and righteous God is to believe in Jesus and to follow him. There will be many. This is, see, this is a means of grace to you, friends. If you're watching, you're not a Christian, you're hearing this. If you're here, see, this is a means of grace that, that God may be interrupting your life right now to show you that you're trusting in the wrong kinds of things, some heritage, some family things, some background you have, something else besides Jesus. Friends, stop trusting in that and look to Christ and be saved. Find hope and redemption because he's the only one that can give it. There'll be many in the end who will be surprised when they knock on that door And Jesus comes to that door and says, I don't know you. What a tragic, horrible moment that will be. Don't be that person that goes and seeks entry when it's too late. Today is the day of salvation. The time to enter the kingdom of God is now. The door is open. Jesus says, don't worry about how many's getting in or how many's not. Make sure you are. I think the same message to us today. So friend, are you, are you, I'm not talking about the person beside you, I'm not talking about your family, I'm talking to you. Are you, have you entered through the narrow door? And if you have not, why? What's holding you back? Why would you not enter through the narrow door while it's open to you? Run through it. Grab hold of Jesus in faith and say, I want you to be my king and my savior. I'm tired of trusting in these other things. It's only through you that I can be right with God. And so I want you, Jesus, believe in him. Time to enter is now. It's an urgent call. Notice too, it's a universal call. Verse 29. There's good news in the midst of this. It's not all bad news. It's not all that heavy because we see in verse 29, Jesus says, and, and people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. So while there are many who will not get in, there are many who are. And they will come from the east and west and north and south. Notice, they will come from the ends of the earth. And they will come into this kingdom. Throngs of people will be in the kingdom of God. And as they do so, they, they will be at the table with these 
great prophets and fathers of the faith. It's almost, it's a picture here, I think, a glimpse of the Gentile inclusion. He's talking about us, most of us. Jesus is, is, is asserting here that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is not a piece of real estate in the Middle East. The kingdom of God transcends borders and ethnicities. The kingdom of God is open to those from the east and west and north and south, and people from all over will enter in. Praise God for that gift of, of universal grace in that sense. We see how Jesus shows that reality of the, the mustard tree expanding and all the birds of the air making nest in its branches, and we see here how it's gonna include people from all walks of life from all over the earth. And friend, I think that in the midst of that, there's, there's application for us. There's urgent application. When we think about the urgent call and the universal call here, the urgent need and the universal reality of those who will be in the kingdom of God, it, it should put a sense of urgency in our evangelism. The door is open now, church. The door is open for people to enter the kingdom of God. What are you doing to point them that way? This week, who are you going to say, the door is open, run through it, seek Christ? Who, who? Name them in your mind right now. Who, who is that person that you're going to say this week, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no way to the Father except through him? It's urgency in our response. Those of you who are not believing, those who have not yet trusted in Christ or following Jesus, friend, the door is going to be shut one day. You're not promised another breath. Respond now, today, today is the salvation. Don't wait. If you have questions, grab us after church and let's talk, please. Should also give us confidence in our mobilization. There will be plenty of people who reject this message, but there will be many from the north, the south, the east, and the west who will respond. There are many who will get in, and the way they get in is by hearing the, the gospel and responding in faith to it. And there are still places in the world where that mustard seed hasn't quite reached yet. There are places in the world today where there are unreached peoples who have never heard of any of this we're talking about. We're assuming all this. Some of you are just sitting comfortably this morning saying, yeah, this is good, this is great. There are people who have never heard of this. Never. And they're going to die and go to hell because of their, their sin. Friends, we don't have time to just coast. There's an urgent need to get the gospel out to our community, to our neighborhoods, to our family and friends, and to the ends of the earth because God's door is open. And we don't know when that door will be shut. Number three. Last characteristic about the kingdom. It's unstoppable. At that very hour, so Jesus, as he's saying these things, some Pharisees came to him and said, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. Think about that. <laughs> this is pretty significant because it shows the the impact Jesus was having in the area. Word has gotten now to Herod, a leader of that region. And, and it seems at first that the Pharisees maybe had a soft moment in their hearts, and they kind of want to warn Jesus. 
with a friendly kind of, in a friendly kind of way so that maybe he could flee for his own safety. But we know the Pharisees are not known for their soft hearts. Their motive was likely selfish. They saw this perhaps as an opportunity to get Jesus out of town without having to resort to any kind of violence. So they were leveraging this threat from Herod for their own benefit. Regardless, Jesus isn't faced. He doesn't stand back and say, wow, I didn't know that this was causing such a, such a ruckus. Maybe I should rethink my method. Jesus doesn't stand back and say, okay, let's, let's all calm down. Let's all gather, gather around the table, make sure we, we know what we're talking about. He, he's, he's not phased at all, all by it. In fact, you see his response, and he said to them, go tell that fox. I love his response. You go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. On the third day, I will finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. There's a lot in that. Jesus is not faced. He doesn't cower to the threat from Herod or the urging of the Pharisees. What he says is that I must go to Jerusalem and you or Herod or anyone else cannot stop me. And he doesn't, he doesn't shy away from the fact of his own death, does he? They're, they're warning him, Herod wants to kill you. He says, I must go to Jerusalem, for it cannot be that a prophet would die outside of it. He embraces it and says, in essence, this is part of God's plan. I'm on my way. Two things real quick about this unstoppable, unstoppable nature of the kingdom. Number one, you see the commitment, the resolve of Jesus to go. Again, note how Jesus defines his ministry in terms of Jerusalem. 951, back in chapter 9, verse 51, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He's committed to go, threats and all, knowing that he's going to perish. He must go. They killed the prophets before and they will kill him. And he's determined to carry out what God had sent him to do. Therefore, there's nothing to fear from Herod because he knows, Jesus knows that his ministry will necessarily include his own death. You see, he understands a fundamental truth that I think we all would do well to remember is that no matter the religious or cultural threats that come against Jesus and the gospel, God's plans will never, ever, ever be thwarted. Ever. Friends, we see all sorts of efforts today to try and silence, intimidate, and threaten God's people. Political pressures, social pressures. But I would remind you that some of the greatest stories and examples of the gospel flourishing and the church advancing in history comes amidst such threats. The greatest act in the world happens in that context to secure our redemption. I see Christians, sometimes myself, get caught up, anxious, troubled when they see the world flexing its arm. Believers will grow worried and alarmed when certain things happen in the culture or in politics. But listen, the Herods of this world do not have the final say. 
Jesus wins. He has declared victory once and for all. So no matter what happens in the world, no matter who sits in earthly seats of government, victory is ours in Christ. The victory we enjoy, friends, is not up for grabs every election cycle. The victory we enjoy is not in danger with every cultural revolution. Yes, we need to be present in the public square. We need to be vocal. We need to be aware of standing for the truth and defending what is just. But our hope and victory does not come from the public square. It comes from a wooden cross and an empty tomb. And that's where our hope must rest. And Jesus looks in the face of religious pressure and political pressure and says, ha, come get me. You can kill me, okay, that's part of the plan. I'll just save my people by the blood that I shed for them. Friends, Jesus has secured all we need. He's building his church. He's advancing his kingdom. And nothing, absolutely nothing, will or can stop him. Nothing. So let's not shrink in fear of all people in the world. We ought to be the most hopeful and joyful and triumphant because we have victory already secured for us in Christ. Then you see the clarity, last, last thing. Jesus issues a warning. He says, I must go finish my course. I must, there's discussion about what does all this mean today, tomorrow, the third day is a reference to his resurrection, maybe. His point is, he's, he's got to go and finish the work that he's been called to do. And notice in that same breath, as he states the confidence that, that in the mission that he's been given, he also, notice the, the, the voice of compassion he says it must be because I, a prophet, it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. And then he has a moment of, of reflecting upon Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. I'm sure in his mind, the city that will soon crucify me. How often would I have gathered you? How many times have I told you and warned you and demonstrated my power and authority? How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing? You were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. Notice the clarity Jesus gives here. Compassion. He's lamenting, he's weeping. He's he's grieving over the state of the lostness of his own people, and yet he is crystal clear. Your house is forsaken. He takes no delight in seeing the condition of Israel, yet the painful reality is that Jerusalem and all the people will be held accountable for its refusal to embrace him. Brothers and sisters, lostness should grieve us. It should grieve us. When is the last time, when is the last time I have wept, lamented the fact that so many in this world are not going through the door? 
It should cause us to, to weep, but at the same time to be crystal clear. Jesus doesn't waver just because he loves these people. He's clear. He doesn't waver on the certainty of judgment, even though it grieves him. Israel will stand condemned, and it will be due to their own indifference towards Jesus. Friends, it's a reminder that in the end, those who are condemned, they're not condemned because Jesus lacks compassion. They're, they're condemned because of their own persistence in sin and rebellion against the Creator and their indifference towards Christ. Let that be clear. God's kingdom is not something you can always see. But friends, be reminded that it's here and it's growing and it's advancing. And now is the time, friend, to enter it while the door remains open. Are you in? Will those be who are saved be few? Or my question for you is, will it include you? Have you responded by faith to Jesus? And if you're in, do you remain joyfully confident in God's promises or do you find yourself intimidated by the threats of his present age? Brothers and sisters, Jesus is king and the kingdom is at hand. Enter it and take part in its unstoppable advance for the glory of God and for the good of this world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for reminding us of what is true about your kingdom, for what is true about your power and your provision. Father, we acknowledge that sometimes we, we lose sight of this. We lose sight of just how vast and powerful your kingdom is and how your promises are being fulfilled. We get caught up in the the sin of this world and the voices that seem louder than yours, but Lord, your voice is clear. Your word is sure. Your promise will not falter. So Lord, would you help us cling to that, to give ourselves faithfully to it and joyfully in it. Father, would you work in our hearts and lives today? Would you cause us to see these truths and respond to them in a way that would please you. And Father, if there are any here who are not following, maybe there are some who are here listening who have not entered the narrow door, Lord, would you by your grace draw them in this morning? And Father, for those of us who are in, would you help us to rejoice that you've done that for us when we did not deserve it? And you've given us everything to rejoice in, we pray. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.